Did you know that one of the daughters of Oral Roberts has been a lifelong student of Bible prophecy? Stay tuned as she shares her insights about God's prophetic word. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Our special guest this week is Roberta Roberts-Potts. She is one of the four children of Oral Roberts and his wife, Evelyn. Roberta is the author of a great new book about her dad, his ministry, and her family. It's this book right here called My Dad, Oral Roberts. It's one of those books you just do not want to put down once you start reading it, and that's because it is fascinating, insightful, inspirational, and heartwarming. And it's illustrated from start to finish with many wonderful photographs. Roberta, welcome to our program. Thank you so much. We are just delighted to have you here today. And I want you to just start off by telling me what prompted you to write such an intimate portrait of your dad, his ministry, and his family. Well, the day before my dad passed away, he had fallen and was in the hospital and he was in a great deal of pain. So the doctors had put him on a, a bunch of uh, antibiotics and, and narcotic drugs, anything to kill the pain. He had been comatose. And then out of nowhere, he started singing. <laughs> it, was, it was the most unusual thing I think I've ever seen. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he was as coherent as you and I are sitting here today. Singing? Singing. Was he singing loud? He was singing at the top of his voice, and he was singing songs which had been pivotal in his ministry. For example, Something Good is Going to Happen to You, which was his TV theme song in the 1970s, and a song that was his testimony song, When He Reached Down His Hand for Me, and that was his testimony after being healed from tuberculosis. Well, that, it was about 45 minutes when he was singing, and then that ended, and after that, he, he went right back into that comatose state, and the next day he passed away. Well, after that, my husband and I were talking, and my husband said, you know, honey, I don't think he was just singing those songs to be singing. I think he was reliving his entire life through those songs. Well, I began thinking about that, and I thought, you know, if I ever wrote a book about Dad, I could describe his life through those songs. Every song could be a chapter in the book. It could tell his story. But I dismissed the thought. I thought, oh, well, that's just a daughter wanting to trade off the, 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 uh, the reputation of a famous father. And, and oh, and I don't want to write some fluff book about my father just to make money. No, no, I don't have time to do that. That's not God. That's just me. Months went on, though, and I kept getting that until I finally started feeling some pain in, in through my abdominal area. And I knew that it wasn't just my idea, that it was a God idea. And so I sat down and, and interestingly, once I divided up his life by those songs, it was like the book wrote itself. And that's uh, one of the characteristics of the book is that every chapter title is a song. It's a song. And then I give the, the, the words of the song. And, and really, honestly, you can describe his entire life yes, through those songs. Yes, because that song that you pick for each chapter really is what that chapter is about. 
It, it's, it really is. That had to come from the Lord. <laughs> it, it had to because I'm not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, I, I first met Roberta several years ago when I started speaking at a Bible prophecy conference in Tulsa that is held annually and sponsored by the ministry of Philip Goodman. Roberta was always at these conferences and she often played the piano during the breaks between speakers. And I found out that she and her husband, Ron, live in the Tulsa area where she is a practicing attorney. While I was reading her remarkable new book, I noticed an intriguing comment on page 219. I have it marked here in red. And Roberta, I'd like for you to read it to the folks. Read what you wrote there on page 219, okay? All right. While I had what church church folks call memory verses as a little girl, I began studying the Bible in depth when I was a teenager. I loved Bible prophecy then and now. I remember having this big chart of all the coming events described in Revelation, Daniel, and other parts of the Bible. Many times when I had invited a girlfriend to spend the night at my house, I would spread out my chart on the bed and teach my friend everything I knew, or at least what I thought I knew, about Bible prophecy. My mother would inevitably spy the light coming from beneath the bedroom door during the early morning hours and assume that we were giggling or perhaps talking about boys, as was the custom of most girls. Well, we did that, too. (laughs) I can well imagine. Uh, That's such a delightful passage. And I tell you, when I read that, it really jumped out at me because it suddenly (laughs) dawned on me that you have been teaching Bible prophecy longer than I have. I didn't get started until 1980, and you were long uh, uh, doing it uh, long before that. Now, Tell me, what what got you interested in Bible prophecy, and what has sustained your interest in it over the years? Well, to begin with, it was the drama. I mean, it's so dramatic. I mean, the thought that that these demonic locusts could come out of this, this terrible pit of hell and come sting you and everything, I thought, wow, that's really exciting. So when I was a teenager, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> now, and I still love the drama of Bible tr- prophecy, but now I also love it because honestly, it helps me deal with the news. It mm-hmm. helps me deal with the direction the world is going in. The world is is getting darker and darker. It's changed so much from the time I was on the bed teaching my friends, thinking I, I understood Bible prophecy when I didn't. But it's gotten so much darker. And yet the scripture says that prophecy is a light. It's a light in a dark place. And when you understand the promises of God for the future... You can deal with some of the things that we're seeing happening in our world today. Well, I want to tell you something. I think that uh, your interest in prophecy as a teenager uh, had to come from the Lord. It had to because most people I run into to today tell me they're terrified of Bible prophecy, that it scares them to death. That they, and I keep saying, hey, there's a lot of bad news in Bible prophecy, but there's only good news for those who know the Lord. Exactly but right. I had a guy write me one time and said, I, I don't like prophecy. It, it's all about uh, uh, scary things that go bump in the dark. And I, I just go, but you That's what's fun found it fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this question. Uh, you make it very clear throughout your book that your dad was a very, very focused man. And, yes. and his focus was on evangelism and healing. Did he ever show any interest in prophecy? Did he ever preach about prophecy? Oh, yes, absolutely. He was very interested in prophecy. In fact, he wrote no less than three books about prophecy. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yes, the, the, the most known would probably be the book called The Drama of the End Time. Okay. And then you may want to know that just a few years before he passed away, in fact, I think it was the last time he heard God's voice speak to him. It was in what Dad referred to as a wake-up call. 
And the Lord was speaking to him saying, the church is not ready for the coming of the Lord. Pastors are not teaching Bible prophecy. People are not talking about the promises that are in the scripture. And dad was very concerned. The, the problem was by that time he was like 88 or yes. something and he no longer had the venue, the avenue to get the message out like he wanted. And he was very frustrated because he got to speak that message in a few churches, but not as many as he wanted to. He wanted to get that message out that we need to prepare for the coming of the Lord. Well, it's an important message, and it's one that uh, God laid on my heart, and it's what this particular ministry is all about, is preaching the soon coming of Jesus. You know, I have uh, read many books about your uh, dad, but I had never read his autobiography, which is Expect a Miracle, My Life and Ministry, Oral Roberts. He has a whole chapter in here about you, in which he says you were the shyest of all of his children. I don't know what happened to that shyness, but (laughs) anyway. Oh, it's still there, unfortunately. But he also mentioned the fact that you were the most spiritual of all the children. One most interested in things of, of the Word and the Lord and that sort of thing. And, and that what a great compliment. You know, I read his chapter and I can see love all the way through it. And I read your book. And, and the thing that comes out in your book is how much you loved your dad. Even when you disagreed with him, even strongly disagreed with him, you just loved him to death. And, and that is something that really radiates in your book. It's a great Christ-like spirit there that just really touched my heart as I was reading it. And one thing about that book, you had me laughing one page and you had me crying the next page, and I didn't ever know what was around the corner. I just kept, I kept going. But when I was reading this autobiography, I noticed in it that he had a list in here of his favorite sermons, and he had some powerful sermons. I've seen them on, uh, on tape, uh, on uh, movie reels and all. And one of them that he mentioned was a sermon about the end times, and that was the first time I re- knew that he ever had any interest in the end times. Oh yes, very interested and, and very concerned that Christians would be ready and understand. So, and that's one reason why I'm so grateful for your ministry. Well, Dave. thank you. I'm so grateful for what you're doing for the Lord, and you're getting that message out. <laughs> well, we're trying. Well, I tell you what, we'll come back in just a moment and ask you some questions about Bible prophecy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, teacher. <laughs> Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and my interview of Oral Roberts' daughter, Roberta Roberts-Potts. Roberta, I want to talk to you a little bit about Bible prophecy. I know you've been a lifelong student of it, and I, I, I met you at a Bible prophecy conference, and then you said in your book that it was something you'd always been interested in. Let me just start off with a, a fundamental question. Do you believe we're living in the season of the Lord's return? If so, why? Well, first of all, I just want to say this is an unfair question. You're the teacher, and I'm the student. So there's my disclaimer. Lawyers love disclaimers. So now I have said my disclaimer. But yes, uh, I absolutely believe we're living in the season of the Lord's return. And of course, season is the operative word there. Oh, yes. I, I, I think that the fact of, of the, the foreshadows we are seeing all at the same time, uh, the, the rise in the earthquakes, the... Uh, the pestilences we're seeing. We're seeing so many things that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. And I I don't think it's so important, just one of those things, but the fact that they're happening all at the same time, you know, the the, the march to to one moral government, the sexual perversions, Mm -hmm. all those things, we're seeing them all at the same time, one generation. And that speaks volumes to me. Do you see Israel playing a role in that? Oh, Absolutely. My goodness. In in fact, I will never forget the day 
1967, June of 1967, I got a phone call from my sister. I had just turned 16, so I was just able to drive. And my sister calls me. She says, Roberta, you have to come over here right now. You just have to, you just have to stop what you're doing and come over here. And I thought, oh no, one of the children's sick, you know. And so I drove over there and she said, Roberta, do you realize what's happening in the world? Do you realize that Israel has the Temple Mount? And I'm like, Huh? Well, so? And she goes, Roberta, do you realize what that is prophetically? That means so much. I mean, she preached me this sermon about Bible prophecy. Sounds like she knew Bible prophecy, oh, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was just on cloud nine because she knew that some of the prophetic yeah. events could not take place unless the Jews had what I think the Bible refers to as the mountains of Israel. Yeah, there you go. And that day, when, when in the Six-Day War, when they took that, it was highly significant. So, yes, I believe Israel... Without Israel, we're, we're kind of sunk. Well, I think I know what the answer to the next question is. And uh, that question has to do with what's called replacement theology that says that the church has replaced Israel and God has no purpose left for the Jews. Your response? If, if you really believe that, then you just have to throw out the Bible. Because well, the Bible from beginning to the end is, is God's word to the Jewish people. There's not a word in the Bible that was written by a Gentile. Yeah. It was all written by the Jews. And oh, well, how do you explain Revelation? How do you explain the place where it lists all the tribes? And how do you replace that with the church? It, it doesn't make any sense. It becomes nonsense. It's called spiritualization. You just spiritualize it. And, and when you spiritualize, you become God because then you can make, make the scriptures say whatever you want them to say. I think that's a dangerous area. Boy. Very yeah. dangerous. Yeah, I, it, no, it, it's, it's a terrible thing to this teaching that God has replaced Israel with the church. And, and why, you know, God has given so many wonderful promises to Israel and He plans to fulfill every one of them to Absolutely. a remnant of believing Jews. But Absolutely. He's given equally great promises to the church. We don't have to covet the promises of Israel. I mean, He's promised us new bodies. He's promised us that we'll reign with Him over, over the earth. I mean, why, why should we covet the promises of Israel? And yet, uh, I know why. It's because anti-Semitism is supernatural in nature. I've met people who, who hate Jews with a passion and never even met a Jew. They, they, but they, Satan puts it in people's hearts That's to so hate sad. the Jewish people. And That's it's so sad. sad. Well, let me ask you this. Many pastors over the years, I've been at this now 32 years, and, and every time I run into pastors, I talk to them, do you ever preach on Bible prophecy? They usually say no. I'll say, well, why? Well, it's too controversial, or I don't know that much about it. But mainly, their answer is this. It's pie in the sky. It has to do with the future. I want to preach sermons that have to do with the here and now, and the problems that people are facing here and now. What about it? Is Bible prophecy just pie in the sky? Have no relevance to the presence? Well, I think it is very here and now. For me, it's the only thing that explains the news. For example... You were a history professor. Mm-hmm. I'm a history major <clears throat> many, many years ago. Um, and most people will know that Europe for centuries had war after war after war. Let's see, there was the Seven Years' War, there's the Thirty Years' War, there was the Hundred Years' War, and those are just three <laughs> out of all the conflicts. In fact, part of the reason why the colonists wanted to come to America was not just religious freedom, but also because they wanted to escape all those wars. Right. Say, so given the history of, it, of Europe, how do you explain that all of a sudden now there's a European Union and when one of them gets in trouble, the other one bails them out? Yes, after centuries of hatred. How do you explain that absent the book of Daniel? How, how do you do that? Explain that. Uh, Prophecy explains the news. 
without that, here's another example. When I was growing up in the 50s, I read about from Revelation that the, the Lord said that Antichrist is going to make everyone have a mark. They're going to have it on their forehead or their hand. And I thought, well, how can that be? How can he get everybody to get a tattoo? Why, back then, you didn't get tattoos. And, and if somebody did get a tattoo, later on they would regret it yes. and they would cover it up or they'd try to get it off. I mean, it was not cool That's right. to have a tattoo. That's right. And yet now, all of a sudden, voluntarily, people are getting tattoos all over their bodies. How do you explain that? Mm-hmm. Absent the book of Revelation. You can't understand the news. So relevant, it's absolutely relevant. It certainly is. Well, let me ask you this. One complaint that I find often voiced about Bible prophecy that's just too difficult to understand. Uh, Pastors often tell me, I'm not premillennial, I'm not amillennial, I'm not postmillennial, I'm panmillennial. Well, it's just going to pan out in the end. To me, they're saying I'm too lazy to study this. But nonetheless, uh, people say it's too difficult to understand. And, and there are parts of prophecy that are difficult to understand, and there are symbolic things. But what would you say is a crucial key or some crucial keys to understanding Bible prophecy? Well, one thing I, I would say, and, and, and it's going to sound very simplistic, but a lot of Christians really believe that they do not need to study the Old Testament. The Old Testament is passe, and all they need are the words of Jesus, or, or the, the, the words of the, of the New Testament. Well, you can't possibly understand prophecy if you don't study the Old Testament. You can't study, you can't understand what Jesus said. In fact, when I study the words of Jesus, I think that He assumed that the audience knew the Old Testament. He assumed that. So if you don't know anything about it, you're lost. So I think that's one of the problems. It's hard for me to stay seated when you do that. I want to get up and dance around and shout (laughs) hallelujah because I have (laughs) preached that for years. Get into the Old Testament. There's no, you know, in the book of Revelation, there's 350 references to the Old Testament. Not a single one is identified. Not one. It never says, as it says in Isaiah or whatever. And you can't understand that unless you've read the book of Daniel or know something about the Old Testament. The the New Testament alludes to the Old Testament. And so that's one reason why people get so confused. Any other key to understanding Bible prophecy? Well, and I learned this from Philip Goodman. You were mentioning Mm -hmm. him earlier, is interpreting Scripture with Scripture. Sometimes you'll come to a verse and you're just like, what does this mean? (laughs) But usually you can find a companion verse somewhere else in the Bible that will help enlighten you on that. So there's a lot of little things like that. Well, Bible prophecy contains a lot of promises about the future, a lot. What would be one of your favorite promises of the future? Oh, well, they're all wonderful, and I, I, I think they're all my favorite. But I, the, the very neatest thing to me is from 1 Corinthians 13 when, when Paul says, Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. When I see my Jesus. Amen, amen. And he's going to know me like I. Or I'm going to know him like he knows me. If he numbers the hairs on my head, I'm going to know him like he knows me. It's so incredibly exciting to know that. I always think of that verse in Romans 8, 18, I believe it is, where it says, The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared 
with the glory oh. that is yet to be revealed to us. You know, that's a mouthful. There, there are people suffering terribly from depression and cancer and, and all kinds of horrible. It says no matter what you suffer, it is nothing compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think of my mother-in-law who is suffering uh, now with, with dementia. Yes. And, and she you can, you can see in her eyes how she suffers. Oh. And before she lost her mind, yeah. she knew Jesus. Yeah. I mean, she was the most precious mother-in-law. Right. Yeah. And I think of that scripture, and I pray that over her, Amen. that it, Amen. it's not worthy to be compared to what she's going to see in heaven. Well, one other thing here, uh, the majority viewpoint concerning end-time Bible prophecy among both Catholics and Protestants in the world today is uh, amillennialism. Uh, most people are not aware of that. They, because there's so many writers, popular writers in the premillennial camp and, and write so many books, people think that's the majority viewpoint. But it is not. The majority viewpoint is amillennialism. And that is the view that we are in the millennium right now. It began at the cross. It will end when Jesus Christ comes. And that's it. There's no future tribulation. There's no future millennium. We're in it right now. And Jesus Christ is reigning from heaven over all the world. Um, what is your response to that? Well, when you want to figure out a concept, you generally want to look to the source where the concept came from. And the, the concept of the millennium came from the Bible, as last I knew. So let's check out and see what the Bible says. If you were to look at Isaiah, it says that if it's during the millennium, a mom can take her little toddler out to the nest of a snake That's right. and say, Johnny... Play Stick your hand down there. Play with us. No problem. This is one of those, like an advertisement, you know, don't do this at home, okay? Because we are not in the millennium. It is not safe. Mothers, please do not take, don't let your child stick his hand down the, in the nest of a snake because it's not safe. I remember the time you had a program where you were preaching somewhere and you had this lion in a cage. Right. And as I recall, you did not let that lion loose. I did not. I was scared to death of that lion. So I think that answers that question. We are not in the millennium. Well, I tell you this, if Jesus Christ is reigning over this world right now, He's not doing a very good job of it because every nation is in revolt. And the, the Bible says when He reigns, they're going to be in submission. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. It says the earth's going to be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice. Where is that today? It says six times in the book of Revelation the millennium will last a thousand years. And if you have the amillennial viewpoint, it's 2,000 and going. So you have to go in and you have to spiritualize all that and say it does not mean what it says. And you get in trouble when you start doing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know, I believe not just with regard to Bible prophecy, but I believe with the whole Word of God from the book of Genesis to the end that you should just take the plain sense meaning of the Scripture. I, I like to say if the plain sense doesn't make sense, don't look for any other sense or you'll end up with nonsense. nonsense. You know, just take the plain <laughs> sense meaning. Yes, there are symbols in places, but symbols have a plain sense meaning. That's right. Uh, you know, Jesus is, is called the Rose of Sharon. Well, that's because he's a beautiful person, you know, and, and he's not called the tumbleweed of Texas. So, you know, <laughs> these symbols have a meaning behind them, and it's pretty easy to figure out what those meanings are. Well, let me ask you another question. This is a hotly debated one, and that is the timing of the rapture. Now, there's a lot of people who believe in a rapture. Many don't, but many do, and, but they will debate the timing. Is it going to be near the end? Is it going to be in the middle? Is it going to be before the tribulation? Do you have any opinion about that at all? Because the Bible doesn't clearly say, you know, the uh, the rapture is going to occur here or here or here. You pretty have to well, pretty figure it out. You have to deduce it from what the Bible says. But what is your opinion? Well, I, I believe we're going to escape. And, and one reason I believe that is that Jesus picked two particular 
Bible personalities when he said it's going to be like the days of. He picked Noah and Lot. Okay, Mm -hmm. both these guys, they lived about 4,000 years apart. The only thing I know of really that they had in common was that they both faced a coming cataclysm and they both escaped. Now, it would have been different if Jesus had said, well, it's going to be just like the days of Jeremiah. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremiah Jeremiah predicted a terrible, terrible upheaval. And sure enough, he he didn't escape it. He lived through it. Or if Jesus had said, it's going to be like the days of Daniel. Well, Daniel was taken captive during that same upheaval. He didn't escape. But Jesus didn't say it's going to be like the days of Jeremiah or the days of Daniel. He said, no, it's going to be like the days of Noah and Lot. And then the thing that that sort of the capstone for me is when he tells us to always be on the watch and pray that we might be counted worthy to escape. And I'm going to be watching and praying because I want to escape. Well, you've taken that right out of Luke 21, verse 36. I was turning over there while you were, were speaking. See, I told you, you know this stuff Well, I loved I it when you started out with the word escape. Because Jesus says we're to pray that we are to escape this. And, and uh, I have people attack me all the time saying, well, you're just an escapist. <laughs> That's right. I, I plead guilty. <laughs> I, plead, I said, Jesus told me to be an escapist. I pray to, be, to escape. And others have. Uh, and they say, well, you just don't want to suffer for the Lord. I said, well, you know, if you, if you stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer for the Lord. The Bible says there's going to be tribulation for believers. But I'm talking about the great tribulation. I'm not talking about the tribulation that we're going to experience as a result of harassment and persecution. Yeah, we're going to experience that. But we're talking about the great tribulation here. And I think that you put your finger on the most important point that I would make, and that's imminence. The Bible says that the Lord can return any moment, any moment. And we're to watch for His return any moment. And when you stop and think about that, the second coming, what we call the second coming, that can't happen any moment because there's too many prophecies that have to be That's fulfilled right. before the second coming occurs. But there's not one that has to be fulfilled for the, for the uh, rapture to occur. And I'm never told to watch for the Antichrist. I'm told to watch for Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, I tell you what, I think you're a better teacher of Bible prophecy oh. than, you, than you believe you are. I mean, you, you, you just got it oh, <laughs> zeroed in. I pale in comparison oh, to, to, to your knowledge. <laughs> okay, well, we'll come back in just a moment with some more questions for you. Well, Roberta, I want to thank you so much for being our special guest this weekend. Uh, I tell you, I have just been so blessed by the book that you've written. So blessed, in fact, I want you to promise us to return next week and let's talk about the book and about your dad, his ministry, and your family, okay? Absolutely. Well, thank you. I'm going to take that as a general MacArthur play. <laughs> well, folks, that's our program for this week. Until next week at the same time, uh, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Roberta Potts' new book, My Dad, Oral Roberts, is a fascinating, insightful, inspirational, and heartwarming story about her dad, his ministry, and her family. Her dad was a poverty-stricken, stammering boy of Cherokee Indian heritage who nearly died of tuberculosis when he was a teenager. But he grew up to build a television empire, establish a great university, and develop a ministry that had a worldwide impact. You will be enthralled by the story of Oral Roberts' great faith when in 1947, at the age of 29, he decided to give up his pastorate and launch a healing ministry. Roberta chronicles the victories and defeats of her dad's remarkable life and the impact they had on the whole family. She even reveals the areas where she disagreed with him. But her love for her dad and her respect for his great accomplishments always shines through her commentary. 
The book is written in an easy-to-read style, and it is lavishly illustrated with family photos from beginning to end. You will find yourself laughing on one page and weeping on another as you read this remarkable insider story of one of Christendom's most powerful evangelists of the 20th century. The book can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, plus the cost of shipping. To order, call the number you see on the screen between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. The name of the book, once again, is My Dad, Oral Roberts. It is a book about the power and blessings of living by faith, and it will encourage you to do the same. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 